One of the topics we've been hearing a lot about lately is narcissism. But once a word becomes ubiquitous like that, it starts getting distorted also. And I think for a lot of us, we don't really know what narcissism is. We bandy it around a lot, but we don't necessarily know what it is. But there's a woman who does know what it is. She teaches about it and how to recover from it. And that's Melanie Tanya Evans. So Melanie, it's so good to have you on with me. Regina, it's a joy to be here. Yeah, so I wanted to find out, I, I when I learned about this, so many people in different age groups um, and women, it seems like this is something that's becoming quite a thing. I know it's a very often searched subject now. That means a lot of people are suffering um, underneath the, the weight of this. So first of all, I'd love for you to let our audience know a little bit about yourself and how you became an expert in this because you work with psychologists and you've been working for quite a long time in this field and private, uh, privately also with clients and you've written a book on it. So what's your own journey with narcissism? Well, Regina, I had no idea that I was going to grow up to be a narcissistic global abuse recovery expert. I really didn't. <laughs> I was I was very interested in personal development, in self-development for years and years and years. And I was teaching things like mindfulness and meditation. But uh, but look, what happened was I'd done a lot of work on myself or so I thought. And I ended up meeting and relationships had been problematic. And I met the man who I thought was absolutely my Prince Charming, everything I've been looking for, spiritual, handsome, etc. And to cut a long story short, uh, it just felt so right that I ended up at 35 years of age, my one and only marriage. I married him very, very quickly. And uh, there were massive warning signs, but I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to ruin the dream. So I, I talked myself out of it and there were things I'd never seen and I'd never experienced before. And what ended up happening was I was physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, financially uh, just uh, abused in so many ways as people are. But what was shocking to me was that I ended up enduring and going th through things I never thought I would tolerate and I would leave, but I was so hooked and so addicted to this man that, and, and this was stunning to me, that logically and uh, practically I was a very capable person, but yet I couldn't, I was like an addict and and, and this was just horrifying. So I would break no contact over and over again. I'd get it through my head. And by this stage, I had, it was quite incredible because I was driving away to a rented place again one time and this word popped into my head, narcissist. And I literally, and I thought I'd heard the word and I thought it was somebody just full of themselves. Anyway, I went home and Googled and there wasn't a lot out there at that time. I fell off the chair, Regina. I was ticking every box and I'm like, oh my God, there's a name for this. But, and, and I, okay, so there's got to be a cure, I'm thinking. And nobody knew of any cure for narcissists and nobody knew of any cure for people that were abused by narcissists. So I ended up searching out therapists and all sorts of things. And then at one point he was like, I'll do anything to save the marriage, which they can do. And he went to therapy and she said to me, there's four ways that this could go. She said, either he will kill you 
you'll kill him trying to defend yourself. You're going to have uh, a, a terminal illness that could take you out because of the stress, or you're just going to end up having a complete psychotic breakdown and you'll be institutionalized. Yeah. And she said, she said, that's if you stay, that's it. But I still believed that I could be the person that could cure a narcissist. So you know, I, I stayed in there, I tried to change me, I tried to work on my boundaries, etc. Anyway, none of it went well. And I did end up having a complete and utter psychotic breakdown. But when I did, it was an adrenal psychotic breakdown. And then I was told by the medical establishment that I would need three antipsychotics for the rest of my life to even function at any level. It would be nowhere near normal. And that I would probably need to be institutionalized and I would never be the same again. Now, Regina, I'm not even good with aspirin. I'm really not. Yeah. Right. So I knew that was game over. So at that point in my life, Regina, I'd already lost two properties I'd brought into the relationship off my own steam. I'd lost my reputation everywhere. He had smeared and everybody believed I was the crazy one and he was the good guy. The police thought I was a stalker. There was just so much. So I, and even my son had turned away from me, my own family. I only had one friend in the whole world. I'd lost everything. And I literally believed that everybody would be better off without me. So I started plotting my own exiting the planet. And, uh, and I was serious about it because I thought it was game over. And I was, at that point, I had to take uh, an antipsychotic to stop having these psychotic episodes. And anyway, I'm lying on my bed and I'm thinking of, and I was on suicide watch. And I'm thinking, how do I do this uh, in the kindest way to everybody possible? And this voice in my head said, no, there's another way. And it persisted and I'm arguing and I thought it was my madness and I thought it was a drug. So anyway, I went to my bathroom. I hit the, I, I put my hands up, I hit the floor and I just screamed, help me. Because I completely surrendered. There was nothing else to do. This voice, this presence entered me in the most startling clarity of my entire life. And it spoke to me and it showed me that what was happening was him reflecting back to me what I'd never actually healed. And the way he spoke to me was the way that I spoke to myself. The way that he would scream at me was the incredible conditional love that I did to myself and so on and so on and so on. And this catapulted me into a vision in the future where I saw and felt myself thriving, uh, free, open cells, empowered, confident, no fear, and I'd never felt that in my entire life, Regina, in this, in this vision in the future. And the voice said to me, you can have this if you learn to heal this from the inside out. And we're going to show you if you choose this mission. And they said, you can leave and come back and do this again, or you can stay and you can get this done. And I chose in that moment, my spirit chose, all right, I'm going to sign up to save my soul. And I came back into my emaciated body. I was a walking skeleton. My hair had fallen out in clumps. I shook, I sweated. I, I looked like I was 120 years old at that point. So I came back into that and I wasn't healed, but it was just that I had known and felt this wasn't about him and there was a way out of this. So I, my mobile, my cell phone, because we were still, I was still breaking no contact. I threw it in the bin uh, it got taken away by the garbage truck 
And that started an incredible 18-month journey where the synchronicities would come to me. The next day I went back and I turned, talked my way out of antipsychotics, which was an absolute miracle that they let me do that because I was a risk to myself and others, and they did. So divine intervention. And anyway, so on and so forth it went. And then I was healing with all sorts of things. I discovered theatre healing. All of it was the subconscious stuff that was breaking me through until it all led to a moment in time where I'd had enough of agoraphobia I couldn't go out in public. I couldn't go shopping without getting people to do it for me, without feeling like I was going to be annihilated. I'm not safe safe in life or in my body. And I channeled a way to meet within me the primal terror fears of a collective level, of my childhood, of my past lives, of my adulthood with him because he'd been very violent Uh, And I was able to find all of those traumas, release them, bring in source to replace them. And within two hours, I'd reset myself to feeling that empowered, safe, whole and expanded in life that I'd never felt. And that was the end of my agoraphobia. And then you okay, and then you rejoined life basically after. I mean, I mean, I'm just listening to it kind of stunned because um, first of all, there are people yeah. watching this who have been through this and the other people who haven't oh, been yeah. through this think, Absolutely. how is it even possible that someone could be hooked yeah. in so deeply to something so dysfunctional? Oh, yeah. I mean, most relationships have some kind of dysfunction and some are violent, yes. but what's the difference between kind of garden variety, someone's angry and violent um, which is critical enough, and someone who is exactly narcissistic and harming you mm. in these ways. So what are the hallmarks of narcissism? I have a lot of questions for you. Great question, because, of course, all of us can be triggered and act like a baby and not be nice. But there's a but but what happens with a person with a conscience who's not a narcissist is they're sorry for that. They take responsibility for that and they realize that they don't want to destroy relationships around them and have them run with I'm superior, you're inferior. But what narcissists do and the hallmark is, is they don't take durable responsibility. So if you get a sorry or if you get a promise of amends, it's usually when you're walking out the door or it's out of five weeks of arguments and they finally capitulate. So they would rather be right than happy. And they're not interested in it's really big and they don't validate your feelings. So if you go to a narcissist and you say, well, you know, you hit me or you yelled at me or you did something really selfish or nasty, well, it's all about them and they're the victim. They'll blame you for their behaviour, even if the behaviour is atrocious. Like I said in the beginning here, the word's so ubiquitous now that it's confusing to people because one thing we're seeing a lot of is incredible self-absorption. Um, and a lot of people Absolutely. think that narcissism is self-absorption. Oh, they're such, they're such a narcissist, That's right? That's right. Well, it's much more than yeah. that, though, it sounds like. Self-absorption sounds kind of garden oh. variety compared to actual diagnosed narcissism what's the difference between those two we think that people who are self-absorbed are just really full of themselves but they're actually 
deeply insecure. So a narcissist is very, very deeply insecure. Now, how do you know that? Because they have massive defense mechanisms. So if you actually try to hold a narcissist accountable or you give them even constructive criticism, any perceived criticism that goes against the narrative of who they would like to believe who they are, which is a false, fragile construct of who I would like to be, because deeply inwardly, I really don't like myself and I'm self-divorced from my inner being and I've deemed it incapable and inadequate. So I've created this cartoon character of myself, a delusional false self of who I want to be. Now, if you challenge that, that narrative that I need to emotionally exist, well, then I'm going to attack you because how dare you take down my ego construct or challenge it in any way. So people that can be powerful and even, um, you know, a little bit in hubris, but if they've got a solid inner identity, they can have a conversation they can learn, they can be open to new information, they can see other people's point of view. Narcissists can't. So why is why now? Why is this coming up so much now? And I have witnessed these relationships so destructive. I mean, especially when you have children involved and people can't disentangle, so destructive. But why now? It's it, Has this always been going on and we just mm. didn't? have a, a name for it or we weren't looking for it? Regina, it's hugely an acceleration. And the reason it is because we have an earthly construct which has been completely inverted. If you really want to get to the bottom of this, this is my humble opinion about what's happened here. Because first of all, what we had or, or how it should be is we had creator at the top, call it source, God, creator, Right. Okay. Then we had the individual who was source filled. Okay. And connected to the true self and the true source. Then we had communities, which were about the wholeness and the oneness of source, self and others, which came down. Now what we have is this inversion where we have source, God thrown to the bottom. Then we have people who are disconnected from themselves and seeking outer stimulation and outer stuff, like taping sandwiches on yourself and feeling like you've had lunch. Right, the car, the house, the this, the that, the Gucci bag, the whatever it is, that I need that to have a self. That's that's narcissism and what that's the programming. What about the the notion is as we've seen uh what's was called truth we used to have kind of common understandings of truth i mean everybody sees anything whatever the subject is slightly differently but we always had right. a somewhat common understanding of what truth was and as we've seen in recent yeah. years globally that has become unhinged where truth has become a matter of opinion and fungible do you think that has Absolutely. anything to do with feeding into this yeah, hugely, because the programming and the indoctrination is all about a particular narrative, and that narrative is pushed, and any dissenting opinion in regard to the narrative is censored and punished, and that's exactly what narcissism is. Okay, so 
if you're involved in a narcissistic situation, like you said, you thought that was this was Prince Charming. And there's this mm-hmm. whole notion that I've read the term love bombing. How do you end up yes. so addicted to a narcissist so that people can, if they come into something they feel is just a little mm. bit amiss, you can start seeing the early signs of this. What happens is narcissists are very, very skilled at, it's like the Trojan horse in Troy that gets through the gates. So what happens with a narcissist is they're very intuitively tuned and they're very, very good at fact finding. So let's say, for example, you have a narcissist that's on a date with somebody. The narcissist will ask them, what happened in your previous relationships? So if this person was to say, well, you know, I got cheated on and my with my best friend and my husband or, you know, and this narcissist will lean inwards, look them straight in the eyes because they are pathological liars and mimic their body language and feign concern, intimacy and care and say, I can't believe how people cheat on people. I've never done it. I'm completely monogamous, right? And I would also be honest and work on the relationship before I would consider doing something like that. So what happens is the person who is very wounded in a particular area still All a narcissist has to do is identify the wound and pretend to be the saviour of it and creates an intense bonding moment. Mm. Now, this can work for anything. Let's say you felt invisible your whole life and nobody hears you. Or let's say you felt enmeshed and engulfed and controlled and not trusted. Then all the, the narcissist is plasticine. They're a chameleon. All they have to do is pretend to be what you're looking for. And then you feel like a man or a woman in a desert who's just found your oasis. So you feel like you've hit pay dirt. And this person gets in very quickly and a narcissist needs to enmesh and ensnare narcissistic supply very, very quickly because there's already stuff going on in their life. They're low on narcissistic supply. That's why they're on the hunt. They're a predator. Or they're already with somebody and the cracks are happening and that person's trying to hold them accountable or they've siphoned them out and destroyed them and they need new narcissistic supply. So they're like a crocodile looking for a new carcass to jump in so they generally go quickly from one relationship to the next because it's like a an energy supply correct pretty much like i have an expression you know they're already with the next person in the time it takes to boil an egg <laughs> uh usually this person is already being set up on the side anyway or they're just doing casual sex or mining people or whatever before but it doesn't take long generally it really doesn't. So what happens? So you're in this relationship. It's becoming abusive. You have to be able to see that this is happening. How does a narcissist keep you woven into it once you recognize something is terribly wrong? Why do people stay to the point it's where tra- they're destroyed? It's trauma bonding, Regina, and it gets back to that original wound of I'm cheated on, I'm ignored, I'm invalidated, I'm enmeshed with, I'm controlled. Okay, because what happens is we've got some big, deep subconscious plays going on in here. And that's really the basis of relationship is not what we're thinking or we're even trying to do. It's what's going on in our beingness. 
So the narcissist, let's just use the example of the monogamy person. So you think, oh my God, I've got the most monogamous relationship going on. So the narcissist, so they think I'm home, I'm safe, thank God. Here I am, this is perfect. So you've already got that construct, which you're going to project onto that person. This is my one and only. Then what happens is this person, the narcissist, will start striking you at that wound. Maybe they start flirting. Maybe they start hiding their phone. Chances are they are absolutely going to be somebody who's not monogamous. They're just not. So you start sensing things that are not right. You start panicking, thinking that you're losing the dream. Plus, you're already getting this old wound ripped open again. But really what's happening is we're attached. We are not self-defined. We're outer-defined. So we're trying to get the narcissist to return to being the saviour of our wound. And really, unconsciously, what's going on is... Hmm. And you, whoever the original person is, the father, the past lives, what's in your genetic history, can you please do it differently this time? Can you please do it differently this time? So we get smashed to the point of, and I've seen it time and time again, women that are running and men running this program, the narcissist could have played up on them 30 times in their face and they still can't let go because you are trauma bonded to this person trying to force them to do it differently this time. So another phenomenon that's really picking up is a lot more women are occupying this role. And I've heard you say that it appears there's some kind of getting even going on, perhaps. What, What is this all about when the women are now bringing the men in and destroying their lives? Well, I really believe, Regina, that narcissism is not gender specific at all. There are a lot of narcissistic women and they've been brought up in families with narcissists or they've been over entitled. And again, really, it is the destruction of the inner self. And I'm going to create a false construct to get what I want. But yes, of course, there is a lot of man hating out there, but there's also a lot of woman hating out there as well. Indeed. So now what happens in the case of someone who has gotten deeply enough involved, you start a family and you have a narcissist parent, what happens, what happens to the kids? Is there, do the kids ever really recover from that? What happens? The kids recover if you have one of the parents who actually gets to heal themselves and lead the way and come out of this. A lot of people will say both of my parents were narcissists. I don't agree with that at all. What I believe, narcissists don't get together and create a relationship with the glue that will hold together. And the reason they... They just don't because somebody's got to keep the fires burning, take the garbage out and do the menial things that, you know, the king or queen of the universe refuses to do because they're too entitled and superior. So it just doesn't work that way. But what happens is the victim of a narcissist is getting so shredded, so projected onto and so abused that they end up traumatised and hurt people hurt people. So they're unavailable as well to the children and they could be lashing out and they're, well, I mean, if you're sick, if you're with somebody sick, you get sick and then you act like you're sick. So this is what's happening. 
Yeah, and that's something that I've read is oftentimes the partners of people with this kind of dysfunction end up even more disoriented and and perhaps even worse shape functionally speaking. Is that accurate? It really is. And when I've worked with healing adults who have come from narcissistic codependent traumatized backgrounds, they're actually the most messed up because what happens is the traumatized parent is trying to fix them and overcompensate and is a complete and utter mess. They're trying to rescue the traumatized parent. They're dealing with either being the scapegoat child or the golden child. And the golden child is the one that's most likely to become narcissistic. Most of the people People of the scapegoated child, they're the sensitive, they're trying to save the traumatized parent who is often very sick. They've got a narcissistic parent. And when we dig deep into the wounding and the healing and we really get the liberation, there is just as many shifts that need to be done in regard to the traumatized parent. Why didn't you stand up? Why didn't you respect yourself? Why didn't you teach me self-worth and self-value? Why didn't you leave for all of us? And, and why did you allow yourself to be destroyed while we were being destroyed? There's a lot of wounding around that. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. You said one of the things that allows this to happen is a narcissist generally works pretty quickly. They want to get you in quickly. So you have oh, to yes. do the buy-in. You have to you have to be on board with saying, oh God, I'm all, I love you. I'm all in. You're the most perfect person I've ever met. So this Absolutely. whole notion of rushing into things seems to be really critical, right? It's huge, Regina. And I another expression I say to people is I used to take more time to assess a pair of shoes than I did a love partner. Now, I'm just being honest because with the shoes, I'd say, look, they're really pretty and they fit, but are my my feet going to hurt after six hours of dancing, (laughs) right? Whereas with him, I'd be like, he's spiritual, he's handsome, he's got broad shoulders, he looks like he's got it going on, he's into me, that's enough. And it's so interesting now, and I just did a beautiful Dating Thriver boot camp, quantum boot camping group, and I teach people that absolutely you have to know your values and your truths, and there are fundamental things in a relationship that are important, honesty, kindness, care, solution building, the ability to be a team, the ability to hear a no and say a no, and all of these things, and they're actually just nice, decent people. We're not asking people to fly to the moon, but we didn't learn this stuff we didn't know it and we also didn't know how to take our time before an exclusivity uh situation how to multiple date to meet people to know to refine your choices how to say no and as i say keep your knickers on like i'm really being serious about Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it's i'm that's just and and how because a narcissist is not going to pass the sniff test because think of think of a wild beast in the jungle. It needs to hit the injured antelope, the injured gazelle at the edge of the pack and take it down very quickly. It cannot use 
more energy to get the kill than it's going to get from eating it. And they are predators. They're empty beings. They're like a black hole. They need to secure supply very quickly and they will pick their targets, find out if it's a target, and they will target and get the Trojan horse in through the gates very quickly. And if they don't, they have to move on. So you make it, not only do you learn self-value, self-worth, self-empowerment, and get people to step up and and court you and fall in love with you and see you as high value and worth, which is a high value worth person is going to want you in their life. Right. Narcissists don't want you to be high value, high worth. They want you to be lovely. They want you to have very skimpy boundaries. They want to come in and they want you to be the person who needs to earn love and approval by giving yourself and your resources and the keys to your kingdom very quickly. That's what a narcissist is looking for. Okay. Now, this is something that kind of, I think, is a problem. And that is in a lot of the quote spiritual and new age communities. This is actually oh. pretty common. I mean, people I know in one situation, someone's like, Oh, I saw you in a past life. You owe me. I lost my life because of you. You owe me. And an innocent person, you did. I did. Uh, okay. Well, how do I make it up to you? And beyond that, and putting themselves I on crystal in terms of spiritual awareness, even goose oh, status. So let's talk about the dangers and pitfalls of the new age community type of narcissism. Oh, Regina, I could do a whole interview with you about that. I really could. But let <laughs> no me just doubt. try and and hit the main points. Okay, the main talking points on this. There's been so many psychops in the new age uh, industry about this. One of them is love and light. And we're just meant to hang on to people and love them into, you know, a, the, the perfect relationship. It's complete and utter garbage because this is not love. This is obsession. This is trauma bonding. This isn't love at all. And when we untangle it and heal, you get to see that very, very clearly. So there's that. The other thing is this whole twin flame concept. And I'm very outspoken about the twin flame concept. Twin this flames are narcissists. They are the nemesis in your life, pushing you to the brink of destruction to come home to love yourself to let go, to heal and love yourself. I can't tell you how many people in our community, but I know it's my twin flame. And and then they get on to their inner healing and they recover and they have no addiction or urge or trauma bonding or psychic cords anymore with this person because they've come home to loving themselves. So, you know, soulmates don't work that way. Soulmates, you share values and common core beliefs and you're able to work through things and you up-level, you're not in a cycle of violence, which is a nemesis twin flame where you're going to get smashed so hard as I did. And I thought he was my one and only. I didn't think I could take a breath without him. But, yeah, so the new age industry, Regina, you're right. I I, I could go on and on. There's yeah. I just no, to bring it up because yeah. it's not, not only is it not exempt, it's rife with that because a lot of excuses are right. 
under new age uh, labels and languaging, for example. So we thank you for sharing that. Uh, If you have another thing to say, then I'm going to ask you about covert narcissists. And I just want to follow up with that one thing that you said about, I saw you in a dream, you're my soulmate. Like, that's just ridiculous love bombing. No serious, mature individual, even if they had had a dream and seen you, would say that until you're six months into a relationship of the fear that they're going to make you run. But narcissists pick their targets. And if they know you're all new agey and, you know, and if you're feeling empty and you're unhealed and you're still struggling with your wounds, if they think that's going to land, they'll say whatever it takes. Oh, my God, because it's so embarrassing because I'm thinking back. Oh, this is probably 25, 30 years ago. I was um, I had a dream. A friend was going to introduce me to this guy. Right. And I said, I was single. And I said, well, okay. I had a dream the night before and I saw his face. Well, when I met the guy, it was his face. And I thought, we, it must be meant to be. It was just terrible. Yes. I saw his face, but it didn't mean anything. It was like, how come I dated this guy? This was, he was not very nice, kind of selfish, not nice at all. Actually. It's like, all because I thought it was meant to be because I'd seen his face in a dream. So here I'm the one that's having that experience and it was totally bogus relationship. It was one I never understood. And the thing is, it is all meant to be, but it's meant to be for our self-definition and for our boundaries and our healthy self-love and our self-worth and our self-respect, you know? So he came into your life to push the parts of you to step into that. Yeah, I just felt kind of like, what was that about? And so, okay, now let's talk about covert narcissism because some of the things you're talking about seem kind of bold. We we can recognize those traits, but what's a covert narcissist? Well, first of all, all narcissists are covert. All right. And I want to be very clear about that because psychic vampires and predators have to operate in the shadows because you would never, ever sign up to somebody who walked up with a T-shirt saying, well, I'm a narcissist. So they keep things very hidden. They lie. They manipulate. They operate in the shadows. Absolutely. Whether they're overt or covert. But for the meaning of the conversation, an overt is somebody who's like, well, you know, I'm big and I'm out there. And a lot of narcissists are a lot more quiet. They're the colder narcissists. They're the scheming narcissists. They're usually the more victimized kind of narcissist. So the overt narcissist is more like, my life is wonderful and amazing. And I'm, and look at me, you know, I'm like the power broker and I've got the, it's always my way and it's my opinion. Whereas your covert is more like, well, I could have been that if I'd have been given the opportunities to be given that. And I didn't get the opportunities. So they're more shy, they're more introverted. But they're very, very good, the coverts, at working out people who are fixers, who feel sorry for them. So, you know, if you've come from a background of I had a parent that was quite traumatized or broken or sick and I was trying to fix them, if I fix you, you could love me and my life could be safe and you could look after me. We play out the same pattern with a covert. So they can say, well, you know, that this person did this to me in the past. And coverts are very, very good at getting with new partners and turning them into flying monkeys because they will tell the new partner how 
horrible you were, the shocking things that you did to them. Narcissists believe their own lies. You need to understand that. They actually do. So they're so convincing and they make up these incredible stories. So your covert narcissist is more scheming. They like to get people turned against you. They enlist uh, abuse by proxy, but they're not as obvious. But they do the exact same stuff. Like it's just in the end, it's functionally the same. So you mentioned a little bit ago, one of the main things is not to let someone in your life too fast, particularly if it's seeming too good to be true. Now, some people are really lovely and wonderful and you you pinch yourself and say, I can't believe my good luck. But you're saying even so, don't rush anything. And then beyond that, what are some other functional proactive tips someone can uh, follow if they fall into this category of coming under the spell of someone quickly. The more we develop and get self-defined, the more we're willing to show up, speak up and back ourselves. I want to use a really good example, Regina. Before my lovely partner now, I was dating and I was on a date with a guy. He ticked a lot of boxes. I'm on a third date, public place. No way, no. It's completely platonic. I'm still checking him out. And anyway, he relaxed a little and he was talking about his work colleagues in a really kind of snarky way, the superior way. And I went to the bathroom and I came back and he's like all mushy and lovely and he's like, how do you think out their date's going? And I was honest. I said, actually, the way that you talked about your work colleagues, I found it to be quite demeaning. Now, what happened was his mushy went ashen he hit the table and he's like how dare you speak to me like that our date is over and I'm just sitting there breathing it was like whoa and I said okay I'll pick up half the bill whatever anyway I walk to the car I am punching the air I'm driving home in my car singing and I rang a girlfriend and she's like how are you so excited and I said you know why because the old me I would have been in the bathroom and thought that felt off oh, he's probably just had a hard day. Everybody can be a bit like that. He's Mm -hmm. so wonderful, you know. But I'd learnt through my development, my healing and my self-definition, don't be the yes girl. Something feels off, speak up. Yeah, right? good you. That that's perfect. Great story. Thank you for sharing that one. Now let's talk about when a person you've met someone and what you're yeah. hearing is a lot of victim stories. They're the victim yeah. in life. What about that? Oh God. Well, you know, if they're the victim, which means, okay, so what's a self-defined, self-empowered person? And we all need to get this for ourselves. It means I know I'm the generative source of my own experience. And therefore, if I want my life to change, I need to take radical personal responsibility to do my inner work, to change my being so that the doing and the getting and the experience can change. Now, a narcissist will never, ever do that. And also a codependent victim will never do that. And they'll continue getting victimized, blaming everybody else. And we never heal unless we come home to ourselves. So either way, whether it's a narcissist or whether it's a perpetual victim, they're going to, they're not going to own their part in it. They're going to blame other people. Then, And if they're going to be blaming other people and situations for their life, you're next. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have to tell you, Melanie, uh, my head's spinning. This is absolutely fascinating. It's the first time I've ever talked to anyone, done an under- interview on this subject, yet it's so ubiquitous. You can see it around. I can see men and women who Everywhere. have been horribly damaged by this. It's absolutely Everywhere. fascinating. And maybe you and I can get back together at another time and have a further discussion on this because we've just scratched the surface. I want to thank you so much for being willing to share your own story uh, as well, because that's, that's Mm. pretty painful. Mm. (laughs) What we just heard is pretty painful and you've recovered your, your skin's glossy. You got your hair back and you've got yourself, you've got your heart back. So, and the thing is Regina, it happened for me. Yeah. There was so much unhealed, unconscious yeah. stuff that I never, and I thought it was my normal life, you know, have some anxiety and some depression and some addiction problems and life struggle and life's hard. I thought that was life. It's yeah. not how we're designed to be. He no. smashed every part of that mm. for me to put it back together and source fill it in a way that works beyond my wildest dreams. I'm so grateful all of that happened. Well, thank you so much, really, for sharing all of this. I, I There's a lot to think about for each of us and recognize where this has happened in our own lives um, or to someone we love. And you've written a book. Yeah. It's How to Recover from Narcissistic Abuse. Is that the right title? You can thrive after narcissistic abuse. Okay, very good. And then also Melanie mm. Tanya Evans, and that's T-O-N-I-A, And then also you have, uh, like you said, you have uh, workshops and retreats and courses. And what I'd love to do too is invite people to come over because I have a free two-part masterclass where you can go on a much deeper understanding of who a narcissist is, what's happened, why you're feeling the way you are, and also the way out to recover, heal, and thrive. So it's actually called Recover, healthrive.com and you can sign up for my two-part free masterclass. It's completely non-obligation. It's going to pop your head open with, oh my God, now I understand what's going on. I love that you're so just free and open and outspoken and honest about all Thank you. So I understand now why so many people are uh, into your work. You've got a lot of followers out there. So anyway, Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time. Early morning, your time, evening, my time. And we will meet again soon. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you, Regina. Okay, everybody. Again, um, you can go to her site, which is Melanie tanyaevans.com find out about the workshop she's talking about find out about her book and also there are tons of videos out there uh, that she has that speak about very specific elements of being in an abusive narcissistic relationship until next time thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com if you enjoyed this video be sure to subscribe to my youtube channel and you might also want to consider joining patreon which allows me to keep all of this content free and available to everyone and if you're looking for like-minded souls you might also enjoy my online community called our neighborhood links to join are in the description